feature presentation. Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Cool boy. You're such a cool boy. I wonder if that's timed correctly at all based on feedback or anything. No. Uh, Today we are reviewing Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, which will be released on December 10th with previews on the 9th. Um, Starring Ansel Elgort, Ariana DeBose, DeBose, DeBose? Debose, uh, David Alvarez, Mike Faced, uh, Rita Moreno, uh, Rachel Ziegler, and more. Um, a not necessarily a remake, uh, but another version of West Side Story, a more kind of faithful to the material version of it, and Spielberg's first uh, full-on musical, um, which is kind of interesting. Eric, how are you? I'm okay, Matt. I. Uh... I'm excited to talk about this because in in a lot of ways, this was kind of one of the big awards movies that, um, you know, we needed to see before our voting deadline and also kind of considering where this might fall, you know, come Oscars. Uh, the original film, which was released back in 1961, which is 60 years old now, um, and also starred Rita Murano mm-hmm. in as, you know, the Ariana role, which uh, basically is sort of like one of the the, the pivotal characters, um, is kind of considered by a lot of people to be a classic. And it's not necessarily a bad movie. I think one of the things I really like about that period of musical um, is just kind of like the hyper stylized look of things, especially with kind of like the vibrant colors, but it's also really problematic because you have a lot of actors in brown face. Um, and also uh, Natalie Wood, who is, or was a good actor um, was dubbed and she couldn't really sing even though she wanted to. Um, and so, you know, there was, there were problems with it, even though it is a, a considered a classic by many. I mean, it is an Oscar winning film, so um, it has that going for it. And then when you get someone like Spielberg, who, to your point, has never directed a full on musical before, but there have been ele- elements in movies like um, uh, Temple of Doom, the second Indiana Jones movie, which is actually a prequel to Indiana Jones with his Busby Berkeley kind of opening dance number. But then you look at even films like, you know, E.T. and E.T. kind of, you know, has moments that are very kinetic and rhythmic and choreographed in a way that, you know, John Williams's score takes over and the cast in certain scenes, like especially with the flying bikes, could be considered almost kind of musical-esque in sort of an operatic kind of way. Um Spielberg is a guy that we have talked a lot about more recently, kind of being statesmanlike in his filmography and kind of doing sort of historical biopics or dramas that maybe more are of interest to him based on where he is in his life and his age. And he has earned the right to make those movies, but for, you know, some maybe expecting another ET or close encounters or jaws or Raiders or Jurassic park, you know, maybe aren't as interested in Lincoln or bridge of spies, which again, 
that's totally fine. Um, I think they're really solid films, but they're not maybe, you know, the the playful and engaged Spielberg that probably a lot of people grew up loving. This movie kind of feels like that Spielberg, the original Spielberg that you grew up watching movies like Jurassic Park or Jaws kind of came back with this. Um, he feels completely invigorated um, and playful with the material. And I think the the most sort of um, sort of praise I can give this film is that it's pure spectacle. Yep. This movie is pure spectacle, even clocking in at nearly three hours long. It moves at a pace that feels um, perfectly in time with the storytelling, um, with the cinematography. The production design is fantastic. Um, even if you don't give into the conceit of, you know, dancing and singing gang members, which is obviously something that I think is difficult for some people, myself included. Um, it's, I'm it's with hard, you, yeah. <laughs> it's hard not to at least respect and love the production of the film. But, but the more I get away from it, I do really like the movie as a whole. And I think he corrects a lot of the things that were wrong with the original movie. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the movie is in Spanish with no subtitles, which I think is really interesting. Uh, I agree with you that, you know, the cast is more authentic and yeah. And I, I'm right there with you. The more I, I was a little soft on the movie when we first, got out and I tweeted this out the other day, which I think is an interesting conversation that maybe we'll go into in another main podcast or something like that, where um, I'm kind of glad sometimes where I sit on a movie for a bit before we either record our review or we always have a, a wonderful conversation that I wish, you know, is an, a separate show, like a, a mini podcast, right? When we get out of a movie, me and you usually run away from everyone else and we have our own little mini, uh, we dance away actually and, and talk about a movie. And this was one where I think we were both like a little soft on of going like, you know, it's obviously like objectively, a well-made movie. Um, but, you know, this being, you know, a movie that was made 60 years ago and just uh, another version of West Side Story, um, you know, I was kind of – my first exposure to West Side Story because I've never actually even seen the original. Uh, so I can't even argue that. But um, So it's hard to pick apart the story elements, which I think do get a little silly and a little eye-rolly by the end. Um so you focus on the spectacle and I think the spectacle is there and the technical prowess of, of a master filmmaker is throughout this entire movie. And I just found myself thinking about it more, uh, listening to the soundtrack a bit on um, Apple Music, uh, which is available in Dolby Atmos and stuff too. And, and, you know, all the songs, even if I hadn't seen West Side Story, I either knew a lot of it. I knew some of the more iconic songs and scenes uh, Officer Krupke, uh, I Feel Pretty, um, America, uh, if that's what the song's called, but I think it's called America, right? And um, yeah, and Cool Boys uh, and cool things boys. like yeah. that. Yeah, like I yeah. know a lot of it. I've just never sat down and watched it as a whole. But uh, reflecting on the movie and thinking about it, I think it has some fantastic performances. I think uh, Rachel Ziegler is is fantastic, uh, Ariana uh, the boys is fantastic. David Alvarez is fantastic. Mike Feist is fantastic. Uh, Rita Moreno, you know, bringing her back in a different role, I, I think is wonderful. Um, and I think there's some some really really good, both musical and just just 
captivating performances throughout the movie. And I think it holds, has a really good energy to it. I think, uh, pacing a little weird of the arrangement of some of the songs. Like I feel like I feel pretty is in a very weird spot in the movie. Um, and kind of deflates a scene that happens prior. And I think, you know, again, I found myself during every musical sequence, the way that Spielberg moved the camera and how elaborate the sets were and the performances were, I, I found myself mesmerized often by like, you know, what felt like hundreds of people moving around and in front of the camera, but you're still fixed onto the person who's performing. But then you're also looking at this crazy elaborate um, choreography and these gigantic sets that clearly look like movie sets, but it just kind of fits the movie. Um, Yeah. So I, I just found myself thinking about it and going, you know what, as much as I didn't care about the story as a whole, or I still found it, kind of silly of you know being these two gangs and they would break out into song or i feel like some of the emotional stuff doesn't work super well for me because it's undercut by some of that kind of performance of it and that's just kind of a musical problem for me where i think like you really got to work hard to have a serious musical and and for it to work on both you know an exciting performance level from the music side and then also on that emotional level and i feel like the movie doesn't necessarily nail those emotional beats but then that's kind of maybe just the issue with the musical itself or the story itself like some character choices are very very weird to me um and you kind of just have to roll with it and then you go well am i here for that or am i here for the spectacle and i think ultimately you are here for the spectacle and um and he really does deliver on that like there are some sequences that have stuck in my mind um, that are just like kind of classic Spielberg shots. And he brings a lot of him himself into this and you go, wow, I can't believe he's never made a musical because he is very, very good at it. And I'd be open to seeing, uh, you know, another Spielberg musical down the line, maybe even something original or, or something that hasn't been adapted before. Um, but I just found myself while I, was a little soft i've it's grown on me and i've gone you know what i would watch this again or i would show it to family or i would um i would sit through it again and it just has like a an energy to it that is really um really kind of captivating and uh i will say i don't think ansel elgort is uh very good i think he's again aside of i think you have to take out you don't have to take out the real world stuff because i think it is kind of wild that he's doing press for the movie and that um they haven't really addressed you know the whole thing that happened with him um late last year or um into this year i forget when it even was but um that removed um he's just there's something off with him i think everyone else in the cast is really good and then his singing voice and stuff is fine uh but there are a few moments like me and you even laughed at 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 one moment where his facial expression is just so over the top and so kind of ridiculous that uh, i burst out laughing and then that's the kind of shit that undercuts some of those emotional beats so i don't think he works um super well um but yeah man i've thought about the movie a lot and i'm like you know what i would watch this again and i would watch it with and tell my family to watch it and um had a a, you know from a technical standpoint it's immaculate yeah it it really does like it's always hard to create a movie musical especially when you're introducing the rules of that movie musical and i think in the first scene of 
this film, Spielberg does a pretty good job of kind of establishing the tone and sort of the rhythm of what the movie is going to kind of move at. And even to the point where after the first scene is over, there's a really clever match cut, which Spielberg is so good at doing. But watching this movie and, and then thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. And and watching and, and thinking about this movie, the more uh, in, in terms of like the cinematography point of view, at first I was a little bit sort of uh, underwhelmed by it in the sense that I felt like maybe it clashed a bit with sort of the classic nature of the timeless nature of the period sort of aesthetic of what it is with kind of you know, Janusz Kaminski's kind of more modern kind of look, especially with the abrasive sort of lens flares specifically. Um, But I almost think that that works for this adaptation the more I think about it, because you look at the world that Spielberg is presenting, this kind of small part of New York that is basically going through gentrification. And it's almost like, not just a west and not just a musical but a western and also a dystopian thriller in a weird way because it's almost like the people that remain in this kind of wasteland are kind of coming to the surface and battling for what's left and the way that you know he uses the camera and kind of with this crane shot at the beginning rising out of uh, Lincoln's uh, square, like that sequence in particular, it almost kind of looks like a dystopian sort of, you know, sci-fi horror movie. And you watch, you know, these two group of people, which again, contextually kind of brings new meaning to what's going on in the U S right now with divisions in the world where you have, you know, the jets and the sharks, the jets being Caucasians and, and the sharks being Puerto Rican and sort of what that means as well was sort of the racial divide and that tension and how kind of silly it also is. And someone like Bernardo who realizes how silly it is. And he even admits to that, but also still goes through with it because it's about representation and pride. And, and to your point, you already made Tony Kushner's script um, is confident enough in the audience's ability, but also in the storytelling to omit subtitles and allow the, Afro-Latin and uh, Latin characters to speak their own language without the need of interpretation because you can understand what's going on. Yeah. You, can, you can see it for yourself. Y- yeah, you might lose some nuance if you don't speak Spanish, but I think Spielberg- You probably and, gain and a Kushner- lot from speaking Spanish, but I, I just sort of cut in Eric. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the movie just did such a good job at- you know, whether it, it felt very natural the way that they spoke, right? Because half of it wasn't English and half wasn't Spanish and they would almost flow and intertwine with one another or they would repeat something um, that they just said and said it in English. And they even put that, you know, and use it in the context of the story of like, they're like, well, we're here now, you need to speak English and you'll hear a character say that. So I thought that was like a kind of really clever way. And it, yeah, it doesn't hinge on you being like, well, we need to spoon feed you everything or you need to know every word that they're saying it's just from their actions or them repeating the dialogue in english after you'll get it or even like a movie you can just watch the visuals and you'll kind of understand um what's happening and what they're saying just based on what's actually happening so yeah Yeah, and and i mean obviously you know with with steven sonaheim passing away as as well there there's maybe a, a 
an emotional connection to this film that otherwise wouldn't be there if you're if you're looking at it from like just the point of view of like oh this how this movie got made and how it's kind of a tribute to to him um as a playwright and as a storyteller and as and as a lyricist and you know uh the Leonard Bernstein score is is fantastic and it has been so influential and iconic throughout the decades to other productions and in the same way that like you know this is just basically Romeo and Juliet but kind of a new version of it but I love when somebody takes something old and sort of reinvents it and changes it around and I think that this is the best version of what West Side Story is for the 21st century I think any other version that was going to be made um whether Spielberg did it or not um might not have succeeded I think Spielberg's version is the best version of a movie that still has some problems, as you mentioned, with its leading man, both on screen and off screen. But I think a lot of the representation and also um, just in the casting, not in the representation, but in sort of the real finds, Rachel Ziegler, I think, is right up there with you know, Spielberg discovering or yeah. being one of the first people to use Drew Barrymore. Yeah, she's going to be a ma- massive star. Yeah. Or Christian Bale in Empire of the Sun. You know, like Spielberg's one of those guys that I think, you know, he gets a lot of credit and obviously rightfully so, but he's always a guy that casts really interestingly. A lot of these cast members are up and comers or relatively just new to um, movies. Like even uh, Mike Fast, who plays Riff, um, is really really good in this movie and he, and he was just kind a stage of, actor wasn't he or yeah and he's kind of a tragic character in his own right where like riff is a bully and a racist and an asshole but the movie explores him enough to kind of find empathy of saying like okay well he comes from a broken home in a background where there's no support where at least bernardo you know has that and maria does too they have each other where you know tony is a very sort of mixed bag to begin with, because obviously he's a character who has his own sort of haunted past and he's also kind of grappling with trying to change. And so, you know, like there's that kind of relationship that I think is kind of interesting as well. Um, Elgort, his singing voice is fine. I think there's nobody in this movie that's like a Pierce Brosnan in a Mamma Mia kind of way. Um, He's not distractingly bad, but no, but in terms of performance, he's not up to par with With the rest of the cast. And then if you are taking into consideration sort of the allegations outside of the movie, it does have a creepiness in terms of like almost him sort of like grooming this younger girl and sort of, you know bringing her into his world yeah. and and vice versa it just kind of does play a little bit maybe i just found the character even not to be super likable like I no mean, it's just you're not really cheering for him and then that's the biggest i think issue i had with the final act when it comes to actual it's hard to criticize a story like it's it's West Side Story. It's iconic, but like, and it's but Tony and it's is Rome. a weak character, especially yeah. amongst all this this amazing cast that are kind of bringing a freshness. And again, I think casting newcomers or relative newcomers, you don't sort of project something that you already expect, and maybe that also doesn't help Ansel Elgort because we he's do. the one known actor kind of. Yeah, I mean Rita Morano is obviously a legend as well, yes, and, and she's I mean, playing Doc this time around, yeah. and and the way that they kind of changed. 
that character and sort of what she's doing there, I think is interesting. And and some of the character actors like Corey Stoll kind of popping up, like obviously people will recognize him. A little bit more Ant-Man. caricatures. I mean, a lot of the yeah. people are kind of, again, that happens in musicals and stage adaptations because it's written in a way that's a little bit more, you know, performative. But um, yeah, Brian Darcy James as, as Krupke is a little, like, um, like a little kind of, ridiculous but it's fine at times, but it's fine because it's such a small yeah. role and like ultimately you kind of know where the story's going you get to pay because, off with the song too yeah with romeo and juliet and things like that but i think it delivers at least on as you mentioned technically but also like it it's just so well made that you're just kind of like okay like maybe emotionally i can't get on on board with it but at least i can really respect and appreciate it and it, and it is just interesting that you know, this year also within the Heights, which also kind of focus on Washington Heights and sort of Puerto Rican (laughs) sort of sector there as well. Like, it's just interesting that you're looking at two sides of a story of like past and present, but also again, West Side Story, the Spielberg version kind of does feel almost like it's dystopian at times. It kind of has a Western kind of vibe as well. Like it's almost like- That's the production design too adds to that. Oh, absolutely. It's like it- I was again as much as I was mesmerized by the choreography and the the musical performances just the way that he shot a lot of these like they spent an insane amount of money on these sets like I know it says 100 million dollars for the budget which is still pretty high for you know a, a movie and a, a musical but um these sets that they built and it's another conversation we had of like why didn't they recast Ansel Elgort and obviously they're backing him because he's doing all the press and shit like that so I mean if they did their own investigation or whatever but um, it's just it's an expensive looking movie because like the sets I think that add to that dystopian kind of feel because it's like these broken buildings and these uh, uh, construction sites and things like that and they're just these massive sets and then when you come at the period setting and like I know someone commented on what they said was product placement, but for me, it's just set dressing. Like I nerd out over stuff like that too. Like I love seeing old packages and old candy packages and soda packages. So like having a part of this take place in that convenience store or the bodega um, is just wonderful to me because like as much as I'm in the scenes that aren't necessarily the musical moments and they're just happening in the store, I'm still kind of looking around the frame and, and just admiring like the set dressing and like how elaborate these sets were, especially when you're outside and they do look like movie sets. Like I won't say that I was ever like, Oh my God, it looks like I'm transported back to New York in the, in the it's the fifties. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I never once was like, this feels realistic, but it, you know, I don't think it needed to have that. It just needed to have this spectacle to it. And I think the sets and the production design do like add to that. Yeah. And, and, and I think also when it, when it comes to the timing of scenes, like I think some of the tracking shots and, and, and the single takes are really, really impressive. And yeah. obviously Spielberg can pull that out of his hat and, and, and can do this in his sleep. But like you look at, again, at that opening sequence, there's this one shot of like, everything's kind of happening on the street, like in the background, like people are kind of going about their day and, you know, walking in and out of stores and things like that. And the way that that's all timed must have been like Like walking in front of the frame and stuff too. Like, and even the dance numbers too. There's so many times where people are going through and you're following a character as everyone's dancing around them. And it's like, it's really, really impressive. So like ultimately my score is not going to show that because like, I, I, I never felt super invested in the material. It almost felt like a series of 
not music videos, but performances or something like that, where I never really cared about what was happening. And I think that's my biggest problem with the movie. And even Spielberg putting that so much into it um, and being so good at, at at a lot of that just never got my hooks of caring about anyone of either side of Maria. I, I, I didn't like Tony, the character. Like I didn't like some of the decisions Maria makes in the last act where it just felt like it completely took me out of the movie, even though I know they're not really going to change that. And it is Romeo and Juliet and it is an iconic story, but like uh, there's just some stuff there that I was just like, narratively doesn't necessarily work for me from a technical standpoint and a performances and the music. I think it does. So I'm ending, I'm going to give the movie a three and a half. Um, I still think it's quite good. And I, I ultimately, the more I think about it, the more I enjoyed it. Um, but it did suffer from me really getting invested in it. And um, I think that was its biggest issue for me. Yeah. I, I would say the, 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 the emotion there is lacking, even though the performances are good, are, are compelling. And, and I really did like Rachel Ziegler a lot. Same. Like she is like, she is an emotional core and I, and I really liked David right. Alvarez and, and I, I, I like everybody- everything up until the last moments of those decisions in the last moments. And I can't blame the performances because they're all really good and they give it their yeah. all. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And then like, again, the other thing I do think that is kind of tragic about the story ultimately isn't just sort of this star-crossed lover kind of scenario that again is Romeo and Juliet, but I almost feel like the true tragedy, especially in this day and age, is like, you know, these two groups of people are fighting really for no reason whatsoever by the color of their skin. And that's it. They're both being pushed out of this area, really. Exactly. (laughs) And it's, and it's like, like you guys, if you put aside your differences and work together to fight against something that is truly, you know, sinister, which is, you know, corporate sort of uh, industry, that's like, that's the thing you need to fight against, like not each other. And like, that's, that's the true tragedy of this. Like that's, I think that, especially now when you think of like other movies that have kind of like tackled gentrification in a really interesting way, like the last black man in San Francisco and, and movies like that, where it's like, okay, we're, we're, we're looking at it from a more modern point of view, but at the same time, it's like, you know, things really don't change. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, we're, we're willing to pick a fight with each other instead of, you know, working together and cooperating and, 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 and fighting the thing that is actually destroying us Mm -hmm. and actually basically um, destroying the neighborhood. Yeah. And um, I know you're not going to change the core of West Side Story to make it what you're talking about, but um, I still think you can criticize the some of the decisions there and and the story itself, even if it is an older story that's been told many times. But um, oh, to- totally. And 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 the other, this is just um, you know a fun little bit of trivia. But the original film, uh, the original Tony was uh, Richard uh, Bamer, um, who's best known as Richard Horn on Twin Peaks, and then the original riff in the film version um, was Russ Tamblin, who played uh-huh. Doctor. Jacoby on uh, Twin Peaks. So just a bunch of people from Twin Peaks. Well, was, it also goes to show you that David Lynch is a big kind I was of musical say, yeah. fantasy guy because one of his favorite movies in the film that he always references is specifically Wizard of Oz. But I wouldn't be surprised if like he's a huge fan of 
you know, singing in the rain, mm-hmm. West Side Story and musicals like that, because he does bring in a lot of like give me a know, Lynch cl- full classic musical. actors. Well, I mean, he again, there's another guy who's kind of had I mean, yeah. sequences in, in his films. I mean, Wild Obviously, at Heart yeah. is kind of Wizard of Oz to him. Absolutely. Um, but but yeah, I, I really um, I'm giving it a four, but my four is like it's it's mostly I could like, go up to a four. I almost went up to a four. But yeah, I, I'm stick- it's for the it's for the wow factor. And I, and I really did feel that this movie benefits watching it on a big screen absolutely agree with that uh it's playing a little if you're in toronto cinesphere is showing it uh which is an interesting thing too and we'll we'll wrap it up uh so four from eric 3.5 uh from matt but i could go up to a four i think on a rewatch i could potentially go up to a four and i even started on like the three i don't really care about this movie but it's good um so that's telling you something and i i might go to cinesphere to go see it because it's playing Cinesphere for you know it seems like disney is in bed with Cinesphere now which i think is very intriguing and um because it seems like they want this two or three week uh you know i mean eternals was there for a whole month so they might get like a new disney imax movie every month at Cinesphere or something that'll play there um because we had eternals and now we're getting west side story um so that's really, really interesting. And uh, I'm kind of, I kind of love that because I mean, Scotiabank's a great theater for IMAX, but Cinesphere is iconic, the first ever permanent IMAX location. So anyways, long story short, go see it there if, um, if you're in Toronto, because I think like that sound and it being that large of a screen, like we saw it in the AVX theater in the most frigid theater I've oh, ever yeah. been in in my life. Like Eric and I have told the story of the the notorious infamous Godzilla screening that was the hottest movie screening I've ever been in in my life uh where it was unbearable to the point where I did not like that movie because I was so focused on how hot it was and I think West Side Story a part of of it was it was so fucking cold in that theater and I'm a hot boy. Like I'm, I, I'm hot constantly. Like I, I'm always like, I'm sweating in this hoodie and this toque that I committed to. Um, but I'm just constantly like, I'm very, is it warm blooded? And I'm just like hot all the time. I'm just sweaty all the time. That hot blooded. But did you, check it and you see. noticed that too, right? That it was, oh, it was free. It was freezing. Like I was literally thinking like, should I be like using my coat as, as I as almost a did that, but I didn't want to like look weird. But then it seemed like I saw someone else get up to go to the bathroom. I think it was Anthony from the movie podcast. Um, and he had his full on winter jacket on as he was going down. And you could also see like Daniel and myself going out to check for Spider-Man <laughs> tickets, like as the movie was happening too. Cause like every time I had to go to the bathroom, uh, I was like, I'll just check if Spider-Man tickets are on sale yet. And then I walked over and, and did that. And I also had to warm myself up because it was so yeah. cold in the theater. It was freezing. Like um, the last time that that's kind of happened was at um, Young and Dundas when they were playing uh, Apollo 11. And, and I like, wasn't in was, that screening, I don't think. it. They, so they were playing it in their like faux IMAX theater. Mm-hmm. And it was like- Which is also where we saw Godzilla, wasn't it? Or was it the AVX? I think it was the AVX, yeah, yeah. but this was this was in the, right the their, other, yeah. yeah their faux IMAX, and it was literally like the dead of winter in there. It was so that's cold. what this felt like. It was like our first cold, really cold day of the year, and it's like it they, was colder in there than it was uh, outside. It, it felt like that. It really <laughs> felt like that. 
um anyways we're getting off track but we're pretty much done the review you could have clicked out by now if you're still also here. i think an, i think an ongoing thing throughout you know the next few reviews we should talk about as well is like um you know a lot of these movies that we're reviewing are over two hours long and so matt and i have had how this many times thing. Do <laughs> you have to go to, go to the, the bathroom, bathroom? <laughs> not to overshare this one i think i went what three times four yeah three or four um and I'm horrible, but I'm my own my own worst enemy because I drink way too many liquids. Like I have a thirty ounce iced coffee throughout the movie, and that's with sometimes I have water on top of that. When we saw Macbeth the other day, because they gave us free drinks and popcorn, and I already had a venti iced coffee, which is my second coffee of the day. Um, so yeah, I'm my own worst enemy when it comes to that. But yeah, if something's over two twenty, and I mean. Weirdly, for don't look up, uh, I'm not. It's under embargo. We won't talk about what we felt. I think it. it's. I think it's. Um, it's or just uh, the broke. Is, just yeah. broke. Yeah. Anyways, we can talk about that uh, review. You guys can check that out. But uh, I only went once, and that's like two and a half hours. Um, I should probably just cut this all out. No one wants to hear how many times I have to be. <laughs> I think this is the best stuff. Um, and then uh, I think sometimes it's like. I'm so worried about Spider-Man because it's two and a half hours. And I'm like that, that one I'm going to be like sweating, just running to the bathroom and coming back because I'm not going to want to miss anything. But you got to like, um, you just got to completely dehydrate before that. It is a night screening. So I won't have to, you know, in the mornings I need a coffee. I just, I need it. I can't yeah. like, I can't like, we're seeing a movie tomorrow. Our first movie of not to date this, but our first movie of 2022, I won't mention what it is, but like it's long. And I'm like, Oh man, I gotta have a 30 ounce coffee. Cause I just, I, I I'll probably be up late tonight, like putting this stuff up. But um, anyways, uh, West side story, 3.5 for Matt, uh, four from Eric. Uh, I think it is a solid outing and to Eric's point, like, I like my Spielberg in the more playful adventure, um, you know, of the eighties and nineties. Um, I think he's such an interesting filmmaker. He is a master and a, and a legend. Um, but he has these phases where I feel like thematically he makes similar styles of movies in each like era of Spielberg, because I think you have, you know, his, you know, late seventies, early eighties stuff into, you know, Temple of Doom, but then you get a couple dramas with Color Purple and Empire of the Sun, but then you get back into adventure movies with like the third Indiana Jones movie and then Hook, Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park 2. And then you have the era of Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, AI, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, uh, Munich, and that kind of 2000s, which is, I think, a different style of drama than what he did in, you know, the early 2010s with War Horse and Lincoln and Bridge of Spies. And then and the post, but then you have BFG, Ready Player One, and then I would put West Side Story kind of in that more uh, playful thing. So I just I think it's interesting. He's uh, he's obviously he's one of those guys. That I think next year I want to go through and watch all of his stuff in chronological order because it's been either a long time since I've seen some of his really early stuff. Um, and then some stuff I might have not even seen. Um, I'm going through, I've seen most of it, but, um, but he is just one of the best ever. So, um, I'll always be excited for a new Spielberg, even if it's something that I'm like, whew, like I tried to watch Bridge of Spies with my dad and I just, we both napped. 
Right. Well, you know, Bridge of Spies, I actually really like that movie. And, and I think like like even the worst Spielberg movie is worth yes. at least kind of t- talking about. And for me, one of the worst is uh, Always, which is like truly like the worst sort of um, uh, intentions that Spielberg has that he can bring to a movie um, with the kind of like I-, I love that he is very sentimental and wears his heart on his sleeve. But that movie is so sappy and so melodramatic that it just doesn't work and that was him reteaming with Richard Dreyfus for a third time um but it's interesting as well like you mentioned sort of like you look at Spielberg in the 70s after after you know before before Jaws he was doing TV and then he does Duel the Dennis Weaver kind of TV movie which is kind of almost like a prototype for um Jaws and obviously also inspired, you know, movies like Joyride and things like that. And then also Sugarland Express, which is a very different Spielberg. Like that's that movie could have taken Spielberg in a very different direction in his career. Like that could have been like Robert Altman or Terrence Malick kind of Spielberg, even though it has more of a narrative and it's not maybe. Yeah. Even though Robert Altman, like the way that Spielberg has certain scenes with characters in like even Jurassic Park where they're kind of like talking over each other and in having more than one conversation, like that's, that's very Altman, Altman stuff. Yeah. Esque. But then after Jaws, you know, he makes movies that are personal, but are still kind of in the context of blockbuster movies. Like I think close encounters of the third kind is his most personal movie. Um, and then like he's making films that will be influential to generations to come and, you know, in the seventies and the eighties into the nineties. And then I think one of the most fascinating moments in Spielberg's career and one that kind of defined that he could do truly anything. And he already proved that, but making Jurassic park and then Schindler's list in the same year and releasing yeah. both of those movies is, and then he did it again with, with war of the worlds in Munich, which is nuts astonishing it truly is like like that is just like like a guy that is so versatile but then more recently i think and we were talking about this as well when we got out of the movie um and sorry to to make this longer but i think this is worth mentioning i'm only missing hockey and dinner eric spielberg has has gone on to this trend where people were kind of influenced by Spielberg movies. I mean, we've even seen it with, you know, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Which I think is Jason a Spielberg Reitman, movie. <laughs> yeah. But Spielberg now seems to also kind of be trying to ride the 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 trend wave a little bit. I think with this, with West Side Story, I think kind of what kind of set him up to do this, even though he's wanted to make a musical for quite some time, is the success of La La Land. I think La La Land has kind of, you're starting to see, you know, over the last five or six years, the musical come back. And I think that La La Land success kind of maybe gave him the confidence to kind of be like, okay, I'm finally going to go and do this in the same way that ready player one is almost like him trying to kind of recreate the magic of what he was doing in the seventies and eighties and nineties. Yeah. And it's almost like the snake eating its own tail because it's like ready player one was inspired by Spielberg movies, partly, yeah, yeah. you know, like, and so I that's guess fascinating that. yeah, yeah. in itself. I, mean, I like and ready then, player one, but yes. But but then with the Fablemans coming up, which is going to be released next year, uh, next Thanksgiving in the U.S., 
um, that movie is going to be a semi-autobiographical coming-of-age film. And he has been on the record saying that he's a huge fan of Lady Bird. And I think that coming-of-age movies in the last 10 years or so with yeah. movies like Boyhood, Lady Bird, Minari, even in Belfast So weirdly, this other year, filmmakers are inspiring him to make his version of that style of movie, right? Exactly. And I yeah. think that that's kind of interesting – where he is right now in his career, because you have the statesman Spielberg who's directed the historical biopics, but now he's kind of also riding this weird trend of like being like, okay, like what's, what are, what are people interested in or what am I creatively being inspired by other filmmakers? And, and I feel like the Fablemans will be really interesting to watch how that kind of unfolds next year. Because again, it's like, you know, close encounters of the third kind was a movie that he made, because he felt that his dad abandoned him. Um, his mom and dad got divorced and he always blamed his father um, for leaving him. And that was kind of him. And that's what this movie is going to be about though, right? And Exactly. So it's taking away the sci-fi elements and just doing a straight drama. And I'm, and I'm wondering if this is going to be Spielberg now looking at it from a point of view, because he always blamed his, his father. I believe his father's name was Arnold. He always blamed his father because he always thought that his father just left them. But then he found out his and he always sided with his mom. But then he said that, no, his mother told him that she had an affair and that's partly why he left. And so now I think with the Fablemans, I think there's going to be this really interesting sort of gray zone of kind of finding complexity and nuance. I'm not saying Close Close Encounters is a great, like perfect movie, a brilliant film. And the more I get older, the more I love that movie. But I think it is very kind of almost like, even though Richard Dreyfuss character isn't a bad guy, it is very much like this guy's leaving yes, his family. Yeah. Where this might you know, now he has some perspective on everything. And it's interesting to be directing a, you know, even though it's semi autobiographical, but like a movie about your own life. I mean, we had that with Kenneth Branagh this year with, uh, with Belfast and, um, even, uh, um, with, uh, Roma a few years ago as well. Yeah. Minari, um, Minari yeah. Lady Bird. Like there's been a lot of at boyhood. There's been a lot of these kind of, semi-autobiographical or biographical accounts of even something like the souvenir um which i really love the souvenir part one and two joanna hogg's movie quoted um, on uh, the little post on instagram the other day bud yeah so like even those movies like are are kind of digging into something that is far more personal even yeah. if they take a more literal or abstract approach to it. It's it, it'll be interesting to see that movie. And I just feel like West side story almost kind of revitalized Spielberg a little bit in terms of like bringing back the Spielberg that we grew up loving. I agree with that completely. Cause as much as I enjoyed ready player one, a little bit of a, uh, a wank off, but like, um, uh, like for reasons you just mentioned, but, um, and then BFG, I feel like, um, no one even saw that movie, um, for a family, not even Mark Rylance, for a family adventure film. movie. Uh, I'm excited for Fablemans. I, I like the casting of Seth Rogen. I mean, Paul Dano's great. And, um, Michelle Williams, Michelle is Williams is incredible. Um, so I, I, you know, I am very, and he's just, you know, it's, Amblin is iconic and uh, I just I, I love that dude so I think next year leading into the Fablemans and it being about his childhood I think is the perfect time to kind of go back through his filmography I know it's a lot of movies but like um, 
It's 34 right I, now. I mean, I, yeah. I go through the Marvel movies almost every year, so I feel like, you know, I could probably machete order it and kind of pick and choose what I want to watch, but I want to try to go through and watch everything um, he's done. And maybe I even started over the holidays this year, but then it'll mess up my letterbox list and I can't do that. I have to wait till next year for everything to reset. So um, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, to reiterate, Eric gave it uh, West Side Story a four. Uh, I give it a 3.5. Um, go check it out at Cinesphere if you're in Toronto. I think that's a great spot to see it. Uh, thank you all for listening. If you, uh, We just did an episode 107 of the Untitled Movie Podcast, which you guys can check out. We had a good debate about what is the last iconic classic Christmas movie. I won't spoil uh, what we determined it was, but... Um, it ends with Henry. <laughs> No, it doesn't. Um, I talk about another guy who's trying to be Spielberg with Colin Trevorrow, but um, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, JJ as well. I mean, oh, JJ is the, the number obvious, one guy yeah. who mimicked his career off of it. But um, go check out that—a uh, fun, fun conversation. Uh, we'll have many more reviews coming out in the next uh, few weeks. We got uh, "Don't Look Up," "Benedetta," uh, "Nightmare Alley," "Red Rocket," "Being the Ricardos," "Licorice Pizza." Uh, the Tragedy of Macbeth, Spider-Man, No Way Home, The Kingsman, Ma- Matrix, uh, Resurrections, Cobra Kai 4, hell yeah, um, and more. Uh, so you're in the right spot for all that. Uh, but if you want a one-stop shop for everything, just head over to our Letterboxd HQ. It's untitled underscore movies. You'll find links to everything over there. Uh, as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. I feel pretty.